On the other side of Texas, history has its place. On the other side of Texas, justice rules the case. They don't like it, they don't love it. They say we're all wrong, but on the other side of Texas halls, we roll on. Hey there, howdy. Thanks for tuning in and telling friends that you hang out here on the other side of Texas. Texas. I'm your host, Jay West Texas Leeson, broadcasting from the Racer Car Wash Studios. Voted Lubbock's Best Wash for five years running. Stopping in one of five convenient locations across the Hub City for the best wash around. I'm trying to put... I'm kind of going Junior League Mom here. I'm putting a uh, a happy voice over some discontent. If I can grind with you for just a second. Um, earlier this week on Monday, go and see the accountant and find out what we're going to dole. What we're going to dole out. And it's not pretty at the lease in Ponderosa. Um, but a couple of weeks ago, get this. In what universe is this acceptable? In ours. That's the, that's a short answer. My mother is a home health care nurse and she's a saint of a woman and love her dearly uh, she's driving pulls out from an intersection and somebody's flying down the road to the north and completely takes off the front of her car and they're going well I mean you should see the skid marks go for like a block no, somebody who's not going 40 miles per hour and definitely not 30 miles per hour takes off the whole front end of her car and to- it's a nice vehicle a couple of years old and then the guy by accounts of a witness my saint of a mother and another witness guy skids into a corner curb retaining wall and then jumps out of his vehicle and starts running Uh, and the cops find various shall we say paraphernalia in the vehicle and um, all that to say and this happened to me uh, about a year and a half ago I got T-boned on Avenue Q here in Lubbock coming home from the show. Um, you get hit in a situation like that, and guess what? There is no sort of... It's it's almost like you were at fault. They, they gave Mom a check that paid off the vehicle, and then she had to pay a $1,000 deductible on top of that, and then we're in new car phase right now i mean how how is that acceptable how in the world does mom i know i'm bending rather than going on facebook and sounding like a crazy man i'm just sounding like a crazy man on the radio um but has to pay the thousand on the deductible and uh then you're just in a situation where you got to put down a payment on a new vehicle it doesn't make any sense to me something that does make sense to me however 
And this helps calm me down a little bit. By the way, our guest today on the program, state representative, he's a chairman in the Texas House, Chris Patty. Been a long time coming before we got Chris Patty, who serves in rural East Texas, on the program. He's got a great bill up about rural jobs. Going to touch base with him and then Wes Rappaport. Rappaport reports coming in on the program as well. Uh, Wes will be with us in about 30 minutes from now. Uh, this from HoustonPublicMedia.org. Long-time listeners of the program know that we've had Barbara and Jim Miles on the program. They live in uh, Leon County, and this is over in East Texas, and it has to do with the high-speed rail line that's going from Dallas to Houston. They came on the program and put up a lawsuit against this, and here's the headline from Houston Public Media. Judge's ruling could have big implications for proposed high-speed rail line. We talk a lot about place on this show. A lot of people's place could just be gobbled up by this high-speed rail line. A new ruling by a Leon County judge could have major implications for the proposed high-speed rail between Houston and Dallas by preventing the rail line's developers from using eminent domain to acquire land for the project. For the past few years, Texas Central Railway has been working on plans to build a privately funded high-speed rail line between Houston and Dallas. An issue is whether Texas Central can use eminent domain as a railroad when landowners don't want to sell their land voluntarily. And I remember the miles as this would go straight through their property. And I I think this was like maybe a year ago we had them on, like last March, uh, March or April. The company contends it has that authority under Texas law, but a Leon County judge has now ruled that Texas Central isn't actually a railroad. That ruling came in the case of a Leon Leon County couple who sued, quote, This company thought it could come in and roughshod over rural Texans without consequence, said Barbara Miles, who is as sharp a rural Texan woman as you've ever met, uh, who sued Texas Central along with her husband, Jim Miles, what it vastly underestimated was the determination and the devotion with which we have prevailed against them at every turn. Speaking at a news conference, Miles's voice trembled with emotion. For us, it isn't just about dirt or rocks or trees or cattle or pasture land. It's about family. The lawsuit was handled by Blake Beckham, uh, who said, quote, uh, this project cannot be finished without eminent domain, and the project is completely off track. See what he did there? The project is stymied, and I don't believe it will ever be built. Former Grimes County Judge Ben Lemon, Lehman? We'll just say Lehman, L-E-M-A-N, is also applauding the ruling. Lehman is now a state representative and said he's pushing for legislation to clarify who can use eminent domain. In no way, shape, or form 
should a private entity be able to falsely claim to have the power of eminent domain under the law that false pretense that false pretense be able to terrorize and threaten hundreds if not thousands of landowners again it goes from Houston to Dallas to Houston from north to south so maybe a little bit of justice there for rural landowners uh, in Leon County which is about as I recall halfway between Houston and Dallas glad to hear that makes me feel better and uh, gets me in a little bit better mood given the day that we've had uh, on injustice on another front who gets hit and then has to pay for it pay a thousand it's crazy crazy but that's what we live in the man's against us here on the other side of texas but uh chris patty gonna come in here in a couple of minutes and rescue us Uh, actually some good solutions uh for rural problems as we get in with chris patty stay right where you are don't turn that dial you want to hear from chris patty that's a new name for you you're going to be glad to meet this guy Coming up right here on the other side. Bottom line, you got a problem, go see these guys at Mullen, Horde, and Brown. His debut here on the program, he is chairman, state representative out of Marshall, Texas, and East Texas, Chris Patty, first elected 2013, currently the chairman of Energy Resources. Chris Patty, how are you, buddy? I'm doing great. Is this the J. West Texas Leeson? Man, I'm glad you finally on the program. I don't know what's taking us so long. I, I don't know either. i, I got to tell you, I was starting to kind of get my feelings hurt a little bit. I, I mean, I guess... I was starting to think, well, gosh, I guess I've not done anything worthy of such a, a significant program as, uh, as as you have. And so I, I'm just, honestly, I'm just kind of speechless. Well, you know, honored, it just doesn't seem like uh, that's sufficient enough. But. I've gone from frustrated to somewhat jubilant back to um, blushing. I appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate that, Chairman. So here's something that really grinds my gears is... We talk a lot about, and let me do an impression of Drew Darby, uh, your peer there in the Texas House. Uh, public school, independent school districts are the lifeblood of any community, any rural community, right? And we, we get into that a lot, and there are a lot of people who say, well, so school districts are supposed to be the main employers of a rural community, or ag programs and people begin to kind of hold their noses up at us on other sides of texas and say you know what uh, it's all government driven and i think that's because so much time and attention gets put on urban centers and my big question is always what legislation is out there because the urban centers certainly have good legislation there's a reason why uh, in in urban centers bring in incentives which here are called government whenever it comes to rural it's government handouts right but whenever it's urban it's incentives uh 
but all of a sudden here comes Chris Patty with an initiative to maybe not make public schools the lifeblood maybe not make other things talk to us a little bit about your new bill the Texas Rural and Opportunity Zone Jobs Act well I first of all appreciate Jay the the opportunity to talk about it and you're right I I think so often uh, those of us that that grew up and and love and wouldn't call any other place home but rural Texas uh, we know we have challenges however we we have challenges to to get our fair share of uh, you name it, whether it's transportation dollars or education dollars or certainly economic development dollars. And so we started thinking in this respect as it relates to economic development, you know, what can we do to incentivize private sector capital to uh, to choose to invest in rural parts of Texas? So often when we talk about you know, economic development, particularly at the state level, you know, it's all about the urban area. And, and and when you look at the various programs in the governor's office and otherwise, they, they largely are targeted to urban uh, centers in Texas. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we said, what can we do to to incentivize, not look for you know a heavy-handed you know government picking winners and losers type thing that you know, of course is going to come with all sorts of red tape and everything else you can imagine. You know what can we do to incentivize people to invest in, in rural parts of the state? And that and so we came up with the idea. And I'll be the first to admit that it's not an original idea that there are a few other states that, that have done this in, in, in recent years. Uh, most recently, Ohio is one. And so we're starting to see some results elsewhere. And so I'm perfectly happy to steal a good idea from someone else. So, uh, you know, what we came up with is this particular program. And, and the gist of it is it's fairly simple. It's how can we facilitate access to capital, which is one of the major limiting factors for small businesses in rural areas. Uh, to be able to create jobs, to be able to expand their businesses, to upgrade facilities, buy equipment, uh, do workforce development, job training. All of those things are limited by capital. Uh, you know, our community banks, which are also a huge driver in our, our rural areas, they do a fine job, but they're limited in what they can do. They can only do so much, you know, based on that particular business and, you know, what their balance sheet looks like and uh, cash flow and, and, and all of those sorts of things. And so, uh, you know, we, we were looking, what can we do? So th- this is a program, again, that, that is being used other places uh, that will create uh, this opportunity to deploy uh, in excess of $200 million uh, over about a three-year period of, of private sector capital uh, in the rural areas uh, so that folks can invest in growing their businesses and uh, hopefully starting new businesses. And this will be a program that works hand-in-hand uh, with local community banks, uh, development corporations, chambers of commerce, anyone who might be engaged with their local business community uh, and be, you know, seeking to help them uh, expand and grow their businesses. And so, uh, you know, this is not a, a government-driven deal, although it will certainly the government will oversee this as it will fall under the, the governor's uh, economic development and tourism uh, part of his office, but that's just basically to set kind of the, the framework for how it works uh, and after that it's government get out of the way and uh, let the private sector work and, and particularly in this case let's invest in rural texas yeah so chris patty here with us on the program um 200 million over three it is house bill 1000 was that intentional or is that just where it landed uh you know we uh we we requested uh that and uh and so uh, you know, since 
sometimes you can hit it on the mark, sometimes you can't. Uh, so, but, uh, but we were certainly excited about getting a good round number uh, on there, and, and we're that's excited a, about that's a pretty good round number. Yeah, 1, yeah. 000. So, uh, yeah. yeah. So I hope that I hope uh, you know my goal is when this session is over uh, that uh, we can look back and certainly in two or three years from now, to particularly to look back and say, you know what, there was that two hundred plus million dollars uh, worth of uh, private sector capital deployed to rural areas. And, and we can point to specific job numbers that were created as a result of that. And in fact, it's, it's guaranteed in this, in this particular legislation because if, you know, if the numbers are not met, you know, if, the, if that full amount is not invested in that, in that amount of time, if the, uh, the job numbers uh, that are supposed to be associated with, those, uh, with the uh, economic development plans, if those are not met, then those, the, the, the tax credits are not received. And so, yeah, so they're skin it. There's, or skin in the game, uh, both for the the individual uh, person. You know, just by way of example, Jay, you know, say you're a, you're a, a, a local business or a small manufacturing, and and you name it, Texas, you know, level in Texas, and you got uh, you want to do a five million dollar expansion uh, to, that that will create say seventy jobs uh, in the community, which would be huge for any uh, small rural community. Uh, be huge anywhere, but particularly in small rural communities. And and say of that five million, you know, the business themselves, uh, the owner could put in a half million. Maybe they can go to their local community bank and get another two and a half. Uh, but that leaves them two million short. And and that's where a program like this would step in uh, and provide that uh, additional two million dollars worth of capital uh, that allows for an ultimately a five million dollar expansion that created seventy good paying jobs in a in a rural community. Yeah. So in that. That's no small thing. That would become maybe the primary employer in a lot of rural communities, uh, 70 jobs. So talk to us a little bit about what the $200 million over the course of three years, when does that begin if if passed out of the House and the Senate and signed by the governor? When would that $200 million, where does that come from exactly? Just for people who aren't familiar with state government, where does $200 million come from? And when would the three years start? Right. Well, as soon as we get it passed, uh, I mean, it would start relatively quickly. And it's really important for people to understand, unlike some other incentive programs that we talk a lot about down here in Austin, uh, this is not taxpayer dollars uh, that that is going to happen. What what happens, you essentially have uh, uh, the equivalent of private equity firms out there that that are willing to make investments that are good investments that they can realize a, a decent return on. That's uh, that's where this this works. It's private sector capital that's raised. Uh, you know, it can be raised all over the place. It can be raised around the country. However, it can only be spent in Texas. Uh, and so, you know, likely how this would go. This is not a situation where maybe you have a small business there in your community that 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 they would apply to the governor's office for this. It's it's not like that, which is how some of the other programs are. This would be a situation where maybe they're working with their local EDC. Uh, economic development corporation, maybe their chamber of commerce, or maybe their local bank. Uh, they're working on and they're saying, "Man, I've got you know, what I think is a good business plan here for a new business." Or, "Hey, we really think that you know because of the changing market conditions that we really need to invest in some additional equipment or uh, or on-the-job training, workforce development, whatever the case may be." Uh, a lot of the referrals through this program are going to come from your economic development corporations, could be a veterans association, it could be a chamber, it could be a bank, uh, and they're going to put the deal together, basically. And so a lot of times it will be your local banker 
uh, that's going to know that there's a, there's another tool over here in the tool shed that is this this pool of funds out mm-hmm. there. And so uh, so that's how it'll work. At that point, uh, if they've identified you know said business in your community, uh, that fund will go to the to the uh, to the governor's office to that economic development office and basically apply uh, to 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 do one create one of these funds. And if approved. Uh, it's it's basically a rural opportunity growth fund that that they have that they could then raise capital. They 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 go get investors again, just like kind of like private equity situations that you see throughout our uh, our state and country. Uh, but it's specific to that particular industry based on you know, a certain return on investment. Uh, a third party economist would establish okay, okay, if you do this, it should create 50 jobs. You know, so the fund that's themselves they don't, or even the business themselves don't, doesn't say hey. If you give me this money, it will create 50 jobs. There's actually a third party that will analyze that and determine what is that target number. So once that is approved, then that, that capital can be deployed uh, with the proper metrics. And, uh, again, at that point, once those numbers are met, once those 50 jobs happen, once the full amount of money that's supposed to be uh, given is given, uh, then at that point the tax credits can be earned uh, by that by that fund yeah. uh, and so and so that's and again it's basically offering those tax credits as an incentive for, for these folks that would put together this private sector capital to invest in, in, in rural areas and the way it's broken down is it has to be in rural areas which in our bill is defined by any city less than 50,000 or any county less than 200,000 a population and so that's how we for purposes of this bill right now that, that's how we define rural. Now, additionally, you, you notice that opportunity zone is also in this because opportunity zones are something that they, they're all over the state, uh, and that is uh, a federal designation, but uh, an opportunity zone could be in in Dallas or anywhere else. And so we, we did want to provide some opportunities for opportunity zones, which are generally more depressed areas of, of communities that could really use uh, some investment um, but the way we have it carved out is that 85% of these dollars must go into rural communities the other 15% theoretically could go into an opportunity zone that might be uh, in a Dallas or a Houston or somewhere like that. Is the legislative stroke behind that that you get some urban votes in opportunity yeah. zones? Yeah, you know, certainly we want to do that. To, you know, I'll be honest with you we often do things like that here because we know, you certainly know this as well, your listeners, that you know, in rural parts of the state, you know, I, uh, just like me, I'm one vote for six counties in East Texas. You go to Harris County and there's 40-plus members uh, you know, in the greater Houston area. So, uh, you know, we're, we're outvoted. And so we have to find ways to build coalitions and get people yeah. to uh, uh, be willing to take up our cause with us. And so, you know, it's very intentional that we would put that in there to to recognize, first of all, it may be really good policy as well because you know investing in opportunity zones or, or economically disadvantaged areas that could be real, could really benefit from this type of uh, infusion of, of capital. Yeah. That's a good thing too. I mean, and what's good for you know those areas is good for the state, and, and you know, and I'm, I'm all for that. I see what you did there, Chairman. I see what you did there. So tell me, who is the opposition here? Uh, do you have formal opposition on this bill? You know, I, none that really has uh, come to a shed on it. Uh, you know, over on the Senate side, uh, uh, Chairman uh, 
Kelly Hancock is going to carry it over there. Excited to work with him. He and I have several other things we're working on as well. Uh, you know, I think really the only people that I might hear anything from is that, as as you well know from following the legislature, we, we have, I have colleagues and we have members in, in the legislature who just don't believe in incentives really at all. Uh, you know, whether you're walking, you know, whether you're talking about 312 and 313 agreements or you're talking about the uh, governor's, you know, uh, enterprise fund or, or any of those things, they just flat out just don't really uh, believe that we ought to be offering incentives that, 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 you know, these businesses will come anyway. I don't subscribe to that train of thought, obviously. I, I do think that incentives are not everything, but they are part of. Yeah, uh, an overall package that, is, that gets worked. people right, right, yeah. absolutely, and so you, you have to be able to do those things. And I want local communities to have as many tools as possible uh, to make sure that they can be successful. You know, we not all of us want to live in Dallas or Houston or Austin or San Antonio. Those are fine places to visit, but they're not home. Uh, you know, and I think about people like me who have, you know two young boys, 17 and 14, and, and you know, a lot of folks that in my community share the same thought of, you know, I sure would like, if they choose to, uh, like the fact that maybe my kids could choose to live in East Texas as well and make a good living. And, and the only way we do that is, is to be able to spur uh, investment and economic development in rural communities, which we can do. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, I'd like for my kids, if they, if they want to live in East Texas, to, to have that opportunity and not feel like they have to move off to Dallas or Houston or Austin somewhere like that to make a living support their family yeah senator kelly hancock is the chairman of senate business and commerce committee no small name there uh as this rolls along we want you to come back on the program again it helps me stop grinding my gears on what are we doing about rural texas what are we doing because we're all looking at school finance and saying these are again the lifeblood but there has to be some other solutions i applaud you for putting that forward chairman yeah. Well, I appreciate it, Jay, and I look forward to talking to you anytime you got a question. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll have a few things going on down here under this pink dome, and so if ever uh, you, uh, you deem me worthy to come back on, I, I oh, welcome the opportunity. On. All right. We will have you back on. Appreciate you, Chris Patty. Uh, all right. Thank you, Jay. Have a good All right, buddy. We'll talk to you uh, again uh, soon. All right. Bye. Uh, Chris Patty there, West Rappaport Report coming up. What were the numbers there last night? Uh, how many numbers did Trump have come out? And how many numbers did Beto O'Rourke? It is the staging of 2020. Get Wes Rappaport on here quickly. And uh, he's in transit. Hopefully he's near Fredericksburg. Hopefully he doesn't stop and get some German food. He makes his call in. Get with Wes Rappaport. Fingers crossed. Coming up on the other side. He is a media phenom. Wes Rappaport. Rappaport reports. You can see him locally in Lubbock on KMAC and KLBK. See him throughout the state with Nexstar Communications. He covered what was going down at the border last night. Wes Rappaport, how you doing, buddy? Hey, Jay. Doing well. How are you? I kind of like you as a uh, weekly staple here. 
Yeah, this is fun. Another terrific Tuesday. Yeah, you. Uh, we'll just start hashtagging it, terrific Tuesday. Kind of <laughs> uh, making a name for yourself here. So, last night, did you cover both events or just one event? Uh, I was at the uh, Donald Trump rally, but we did have crews at both events. Okay, so tell me this. This is a big question right now. The president tweeting today that hundreds of people showed up for the Beto O'Rourke rally. Is that number wrong? Is it hundreds, like is in, like, thousands, like a couple hundred? Or I saw, so I didn't obviously see the O'Rourke rally with my own two eyes, but from the estimates that I did see, um... It, it seemed like it was, uh, you know, somewhere in the, like, seven to 12,000 range. And I'm giving you a broad range because I didn't, I don't have solid numbers, but I, the estimates seem to be somewhere between seven and 12. How many, how many people were at the president's venue? Well, it, the venue itself holds 6,500, and then you add probably two you know, one to two thousand people in the on the floor. Plus, uh, you know, I'll give you a, a couple of thousand more outside. So they 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 are roughly the same size crowd at both yeah. events. Plus or minus a few a few grand. But. Was this Ben O'Rourke saying anything you can do, I can do better? Is this presidential candidate Ben O'Rourke? Forget the merits. I mean, forget the politics of it. Um, it's all percep- perception is context. Was this Ben O'Rourke saying, I can outdraw you? Well, I you know, I don't know. and, and But to answer that, I think you have to look at two things. First of all, this thing was was being set up like it was a presidential announcement. I mean, you, they built a stage. It was this whole, you know, promoting it like here's this, and and promoting it in a way where he's not just going to come out and say, I'm I'm running, you know, I, I want to get everybody together for a rally because I'm running for president, kind of thing. Um, it Which was, he it did was not just, do. It was, Right. It was it was a very Beto O'Rourke style, you know, setup, which was the you know come out and see what what might happen tonight, right? Mm-hmm. And and I want to march and 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 you never know. And and so I think there were a lot of people um, that that thought that he was going to do it, but then he you know then he didn't. And so does this lay the groundwork for that? Maybe does this uh, you know also say maybe he's not going to do it and he's just really trying to be the best you know kind of representative for the El Paso community that he can be and kind of uh, you know rival the president in that way you know say okay you got, you want to get all the all the GOP folks together we're going to get everybody else together and and uh, you know make some magic or, or whatever yeah. or however you want to describe it right so so I don't know I mean does it I think it in a lot of ways it does lay the groundwork but but maybe there are, you know, there there are obvious ways where maybe he's just not going to do it, and he just wants to, you know, be his his hometown guy. Yeah, but Wes, if the metrics are, 
you drew this many people, I drew this many people. What I just heard you break down is that if Beto O'Rourke didn't match the president, uh, he he certainly wasn't very far away from outmatching the president. Well, he certainly is popular in his hometown, and and he certainly has the 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 draw um, in Texas that we you know we we've, we've known that for a long time, um, and and he's got the nationwide popularity as well, um, which is why he got a ton of coverage yesterday. You know, so so it's not um, so I think that yeah he he by having this you know by. By participating in this march and this rally, he's feeding the hometown crowd. But I think he's also, uh, you know, try, acting as a thorn in the president's side, as only Beto O'Rourke could do. Mm-hmm. Um, wh- whether that's intentional or not, you know, I'm not a political consultant, but I don't think it, it was an accident. But you can play one on the radio. I do it all the time. <laughs> uh, you think he's running west? You know, I I sort of had this inkling that he was going to do it last night, um, and and the fact that he doesn't that he didn't kind of has me a little perplexed. Um, but at the same time, I can understand the let's let's build this up and let's see. You know, maybe this is again this is that laying that groundwork and and maybe it's you know let's have our own announcement. You know, let's do it special work style with a. With a strong Facebook presence and a and a you know a, a rally he can call his own. You know, remember this this march and this rally he did not um, initiate. This was initiated by other local groups that sort of he became a participant, um, and people obviously wanted to come out and see him. So it, everyone was sort of calling it the Metro O'Rourke rally, but it was yeah. really put on by these other local groups that he joined on. Yeah, Claudia is saying on the text line that. I'm pro Beto. I'm not. I'm. I national politics, Wes, make my head hurt and sometimes my soul, um, because I think we get so far away from what's important. We begin to look at things through a national lens, and that's not the lens through which it was intended to be viewed. Um, but I'm only looking at and talking with Wes Rappaport right now about the optics and. It was a pretty strong, pretty staunch contrast of Beto O'Rourke. Now, I think it's a bad issue for Beto O'Rourke. I will say that that a nation has to have walls. It, it has to have boundaries. Who's in? Yeah. Who's who's out? You know. And uh, I think that this inclusivity. And I talked with this. I've talked with Beto O'Rourke about this face to face. And it was on the show, you know, an interview we did with him for 35 minutes about isn't the real issue with the wall inclusivity in a party that wants to include everybody. Uh, But, you know, sometimes we're known more by what we disallow than what we allow. But I think it's a bad issue, Claudia, on its face. But I think the the real story last night was here's Beto versus Donald Trump. Let's see how it goes. And Wes, you're telling me what I gather from this interview is that it, they drew about the same amount of numbers. Yeah. I mean, and, and I mean, if you just think about the issues themselves, I mean, we, we were talking about how we were going to cover 
after, you know, after both rallies ended, we were talking about, okay, what's, what's the next, you know, what's the follow here, right? And, and you know, Beto O'Rourke didn't run for president, and, and Donald Trump didn't make any new news. You know, he didn't break anything. We didn't, he didn't say anything that we didn't already know. He didn't, you know, um, uh, change his mind on anything. He, he pushed his same agenda, and uh, so he didn't, I, he didn't change anyone else's mind either, I think. He, you know, he, he didn't preach to any new choirs um, last night. So, so you know, the, it was hard to, I think that's why people are, are you know, maybe a little hung up on, on some of the, the numbers because that's the comparable thing. That's the thing you can you can easily compare. But really, this was Donald Trump c- coming out to the you know to the district that he criticized in his State of the Union address. Um, and I and to see I think in a lot of ways just to see what kind of support he has out in in that area, right? Um, and I was surprised to see the the numbers of, of you know just uh, supporters um, and many of them were from El Paso and we talked to a lot of them but many of them were from other places you know a lot of folks from New Mexico that came down that, that wanted to, to see and so I think there's this kind of other conversation that you know that it may be for another day but but about the support the New Mexico support and you know New Mexico wow. is is unquestionably blue right now, but there are a lot of, of Republicans who feel kind of left out and feel underrepresented and feel, uh, you know, un- unappreciated. Then they said, you know, I wanted to come down. I, we talked to a, a woman whose husband was a furloughed, um, uh, I think it was at the Department of Justice, maybe, um, or Border Patrol. I can't remember off the top of my head here, but but she, her husband was a furloughed federal worker. And she said, you know, shut the government down again if you have to. We, I went out and went to the grocery store today. You know, before I came down here yesterday, and and I got everything that that I needed as a backup, just in case my husband's paycheck doesn't come in again. You know, so so there there are there will always be kind of the 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 devil's advocate, so to speak, whether it's a, a devil's advocate one way or on the other side. Yeah. You know, there, but there, that's there putting your money where your mouth folks. is too. It, it is. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. And so there was a, there was a lot of that that, you know, I think you you kind of expect to hear undertones of it, but it was right right in her face. Like this, there are a lot of people in this room that that are supportive, and here we are in El Paso, Texas. You know, Wes Rappaport, Next Star Communications, with us on the program. Did you see what's gone viral today? Did you see the assault of? Uh, I call it an assault, but. Did you see crowds? Well, let me just start with this question. Are you nervous walking into a Trump rally with your camera? So, a lot of points here. Let's unpack it all here. Um, there w- Normally, so I've covered Trump rallies before, um, both official events and campaign events, mm-hmm. um, and have always felt a level of protection afforded to anybody in there, right? Um, Wait, what's you know, that the meet, You know, the, 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 I, I feel like it's a generally safe atmosphere. You know, there's obviously this, this criticism of the press that, that, um, 
that the president and and many of his supporters have. And you know, there's always the, there's the booze and there's the attention, and you know, we that we put up with that. That's nothing new, and that and and I'm used to that. Um, but this event felt a little bit different, obviously with the with the specific uh, assault that you mentioned, and and if the BBC is going to call it an assault, I think I'll go with that because uh, you know the. the their camera operator was was um, you know harassed physically um, and and equipment as well and so you know so our gear was just you know three five feet to the to the right of, of all of mm. this um, and and if if this guy had gone he went left if he had gone right he would have had you know we would it would have been a different story we would have been much more involved um, and and uh, so yeah, it was a. I do generally feel safe at these events. Um, there, there, anytime the Secret Service is involved, you know, you're, you're there's the level of and and it's the president. You know, you're not mm-hmm. they're not going to put him in a room where it's not, it's not safe to be. Um, but this time there were all you know, when we were in Houston for the for the rally uh, right before the election with with uh, Ted Cruz and and uh, everybody else. There was a, there were a couple of interruptions. One, two, that, that was about it. This time, there were three, four, five interruptions, you know, protesters unfurling banners, people yelling, the whole, the whole nine yards. Um, so, and it was, so it just kind of felt like an unusual, there was just something unusual about this one that, that was a little bit different. Um, and I don't know what to attribute that to necessarily, but just putting it all out there, I think. Yeah. So, do you carry? I don't carry. Yet. If you yet. <laughs> yet. Uh, but... I mean, I've, I've got I've got all kinds of camera equipment, and so I don't really have time to to, to be to go down that road right now. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. we're I've got a job to do, and if some if. I figure, you know, especially being in Texas, that there likely is someone around me who, who is. So, yeah. Uh, tell us what you're working on, Wes. Uh, well, today we followed up a little bit on. We did a little bit of fact checking on on both of the rallies, and, and we were talking about. Um, uh, so the president had kind of uh, rallied off a few of uh, the statistics that he was uh, using to to. Um, you know, justify building a, a border wall on, on, along the southern border, and um, we we went through some of those, some of that data, and and asked um, immigration and, and customs enforcement. We called up ICE and said, "Hey, he said all this yesterday. Is is it? Can you confirm any of this information is accurate?" Um, and and if not, what are what is the information? Yeah, uh, what they say. So, you know, and they said that that the data was correct, um, and and uh, they broke it down for us. And they said, and you know, not to not to say that that the president, you know, would intentionally throw inaccurate information, but there there has been misinformation reported um, from state leaders and uh, the president in the past about. The, the statistics surrounding El Paso. So we wanted to just kind of bet some of that for ourselves independently. Um, 
and and then we also uh, you know checked in with with some of the information that that Beto O'Rourke had said, uh, you know, talking about the that uh, you know basically kind of comparing his point of view uh, on crime, violent crime in El Paso and saying, okay, well, so he says that that this that the violent crime numbers are kind of unaffected by this and, and by the wall and, and we were we wanted to vet everything. So basically both of them are right to a certain degree. Um, and and uh, talking about people who commit crimes in uh, whether I guess who are in the country illegally versus people who are American born citizens who commit crimes. So what's the crime rate and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, and and so they're both right in a lot of ways, and so I think that we we wanted to kind of just go in and verify some of that information because you hear people start rifling off numbers and making claims, and so we, we did a little bit of fact checking today, and it seemed like most of what, what we heard last night was was uh, suitable. Both right, which, if I'm hearing you correctly, Wes sets up quite a 2020 contest between yeah, these no two kidding. gentlemen. Yeah. All right. If you know, there, there's lots of options out there on the table, and we want to make sure that they're they're being truthful in the, along the way. He's Wes Rappaport. We get a lot of feedback here on the program. People love hearing from you, Wes. He's at Wes Rap, R A P. There. Well, I'll tell the... my mom to stop calling. Then. Okay. Well, let me... <laughs> hey, uh, false pride's the same thing as pride, buddy. Um, appreciate you making time. Hey, thank you as always. Talk you're to you you're, tri- you're driving back from the border, right? We're driving back. Yeah, it was a yeah. long uh, a long day, but we're we were uh, reporting from the road today. Appreciate you making time, bud. Thanks, Jay. Wes Rappaport there at Wes Rap on Twitter. Get into a quickie break here and get back in with you. Close out the program. Tell you what's going on, maybe at the Lease and Ponderosa and otherwise, right here on the other side of Texas. Gonna go home, gotta get home because. I have uh, our first round of fifth grade basketball tonight. Fifth and sixth grade basketball. My daughter is her mother's height about this time. And um, and my wife is tall. And we're looking forward to watching little Gracie Bird play some ball tonight. Always interesting to see how my daughter has some of my wit and a lot of her mother's competitive spirit which isn't real high you know I I sit down and play Scrabble with my wife and it's like the USSR and America with nukes pointed at each other only she wants to play like pixie sticks against nukes and I can't get her to be as competitive as I am Waiting to see if Grace has a little bit of fire in the engines tonight. They're playing for the Huskies as uh, we go out for our first game tonight. Um, Tomorrow on the program, we're going to have Ross Ramsey, executive editor of the Texas Tribune. And then my friend, 
the Dennis, the acclaimed Dennis, Jason White. You hear his ads on the program. Jason White has done so well for himself that he doesn't have to care what other people think and uh, get him in to talk about um, here's the deal. That's his big thing. Here's the deal. He wants to get into some national stuff, which makes me a little bit nervous because I don't like the national stuff, but uh, we're going to get into some national stuff here from a West Texas conservative tomorrow at the end of the program but for now gonna get home gotta get home great family great basketball waiting for me there at the ponderosa until next time buddies roll rave on not roll long we roll long at the beginning of the program rave on rave on buddies keep on saying what needs to be said we'll see you next time right here on the other side of texas Emily Jones for ABC Bank. Life is a hustle. As a busy mom, wife, and sportscaster, there is never an extra minute in the day. I rely on ABC Bank to have my back. They have the tools I need to get my banking done on the go. I like my banking simple and honest, and they take the hassle out of the hustle. Bank on better with ABC Bank. Member FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. 